mythology and folklore all over the world we're your hosts i'm zoe and i'm lizzie and how are you today zoe i'm good i have spring break starting in less than 12 hours which is very exciting i only have one class left which i'm not looking forward to but once that's done i am free for a little over a week and i'm gonna go home and i'm really excited for that so that's gonna be really nice I'm just going to relax a bunch, eat lots of ice cream. I'm very excited. Nice. Oh, that sounds really fun. How about you? What's up with you, Lizzie? Um, not really anything, I guess. Um, I've just been, you know, sitting around and working and yeah, I don't know. Not much, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So before we begin, I want to remind you all that we have a Ko-fi page so you can donate um, either with a recurring payment or with one payment and once you do that you will have access to our um subscriber only posts of which Mm -hmm. we currently have none but they are forthcoming exactly and we would and we would appreciate that greatly Mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah so who are we talking about today zoe okay so today we are going to be talking about nafanua who is a war goddess from the islands of Samoa. Oh, cool. So, have you heard of her at all before? I actually have not. Oh, that's awesome. She's very cool. Um, so first of all, Samoa is a set of two islands and eight islets in the Pacific. And it's not to be confused with American Samoa, which is separate by the international dateline. So that's uh, a different oh. area, okay. territory, country. Got it. Yeah, which I didn't know until I started doing my research, but that is a fact. So I also didn't know that. Yeah. So Nafanua was born as an aborted blood clot from her parents, and her mother originally thought that she was dead and buried her in the earth. However, oh. her father found out what had happened and unburied her, dug her up, and <laughs> she emerged from the ground fully grown, and her name can be translated as hidden in the earth, based on the story. Cool. Okay. So her mother is Tilafanga, who is one of the legendary conjoined twins in Samoan mythology. And oh. they are said to have introduced humanity to the art of tatau, or tattooing. And fun story, they were bringing the art to humans, but they uh, forgot the original instructions. And instead of tattooing women as they were originally intended, they tattooed men instead. And so women also get tattoos, but they are smaller. So that's oh, okay. a fun little story about uh, from Samoan mythology about um, the mother of Nafanua. So her father is Savasi Ulio, the god of the underworld, which is known as Pulotu. And her parents are also siblings, which is common in Polynesian mythology. And um, I didn't think that was as big a deal because like we see that a lot in mythology throughout the world. But a lot of the sources I was looking at were talking about her being like, the you know the product of taboo and stuff like that so apparently like i feel like i mean we were kind of talking about this a little bit but like how incest when it's 
like it's mostly frowned upon but when it's not frowned upon it's like you know kings and like gods in this case so i Mm -hmm. feel like it's not that weird yeah it's it's just i feel like it's hard to talk about because like in myths it's just such a different like sort of set of standards compared to I mean, like the context is totally different reality and also things change over time and, and i don't know it's just like a hard thing to talk about but also it makes sense that gods would all be related to each other yeah i mean there's not they all have to there's come not from a lot, somewhere lot, not a lot to pick from <laughs> yeah. for like potential mm-hmm. spouses so mm-hmm. whatever what are you gonna do yeah yeah but anyway so everyone in pers- greek mythology is related to each other that is like, true they are all related to each other so yeah but anyway, so um, the story surrounding her, there's a fun story. So on the island of Savai, which is one of the two main islands that make up the Samoan um, island system. And fun fact, Savai is linguistically linked to Hawaii, ah. um, which very cool and How so? fun for me. Um, so uh, basically the person that I listened to a podcast and the way that they explained it is in a lot of like... Um, Polynesian languages a lot of words are linguistically linked and it's just like a few letters that are changed so mm. Savai'i is basically Hawaii but the letters are changed a little bit oh does it, does it mean the same thing like does it mean something like I don't know home or something like that I genuinely don't know um, I Got just it. thought it was a fun fact <laughs> um, yeah, I but think yeah. it's interesting that a lot of um, countries like the name for their like it means something like you know the people land or something yeah like that. yeah that is interesting yeah but i don't know about this case yeah um but yeah so on the island of savai um in the samoan islands chain there was unrest the east side and the west sides of the island were at war with one another they were looking for land and control of the entire island as land was the greatest sign of wealth in samoan culture so they were basically mm-hmm. looking to control the entire island so yeah. the current high chief of the island was named Lula Mayava, and he was a cruel man. When he conquered the west side, he forced the villagers to climb a coconut tree feet first, humiliating them horribly and causing them a lot of pain. Oh, wow. However, what he didn't realize is one of the men that he forced into this practice was Tai'i, who was the brother of the underworld god, Savausi Ulio. And as he was climbing the tree... He sighed loudly in pain and humiliation. This sigh caught the attention of his brother, who noticed his plight. Enraged by the actions of Lilo Mayava, he sent his daughter, Nafanua, to avenge Tai'i and teach Lilo Mayava a lesson. Mm-hmm. So that's her little origin story. When she arrived on the beach of Savai, she was taken in by a couple from the western side of the island, who became her adopted parents. Um, oh, sort of a bit of... um information background information um the entrance to the underworld pulotu is said to be on the western side of the island so therefore like the underworld gods sort of were considered western islanders Got it. you know you know yeah they had allegiance to the western side of the island um, that's interesting so the underworld was you know below yeah but there's only one entrance yeah or i mean like you also go there when you die um it's sort of similar to like valhalla um, so it's sort of like a warrior's underworld, but um, it's also like, I guess there's a way to enter it when you're not dead. Is it maybe that they also come from? Oh yeah, this that, and then... that might be. A, yeah, I I don't know, but yeah. Okay. But anyway, that is why like 
she has allegiance and also her uncle uh, had allegiance to the western side of the island um, so yeah so when she she arrived on the beach of Savai'i and she was taken in by a western couple and they became her adopted parents so she was fully like aligned with the western side of the island and mm-hmm. then when she got there she began to follow the instructions of her father and her first instruction was to cut down a toa tree and she did and so from the wood of this tree, she fashioned four items. The first one was called Tafasilafai, and that was her main weapon. It was a wooden hook facing side out with three to four sharp teeth set opposite its gap. And then the second one was called Fa'auliulito, and it was a heavy round stick with a heavy and wide edge, sort of like a billy club. And then she fashioned two other weapons to help bring about different ends of the conflict. So the first one was called Ulimasau, and that was a weapon designed to end the war and bring about peace. Its name could be translated to driving safely. And it's basically oh. a paddle shape with round, smooth sides and one pointed edge. Okay. And then the last weapon was the most dangerous of all, and it was called Fa Amagategatawa, and it was the weapon of death. It was a spear with sharp teeth at the place where the blade meets the staff. It was the most deadly weapon she made, and it could kill members of her own divine family. Oh, okay. So it was a very dangerous weapon, and it was bring about a bloody and destructive end to the conflict. Basically, like a total annihilation end. And she, having made these weapons, enchanted them with power from the spirit world. So her father made her promise that she would stop fighting when she reached the village of their family in order to ensure that she didn't kill any members of their family in her battle rage. And she agreed to that. Before she set out on her conquest, she asked her adopted parents if they would fight alongside her against Lilomayava. They told her that they didn't really know how to fight. So she gave him her second weapon, Fa'auli Ulito, and told them to stay at the edge of the battlefield so that they wouldn't get in her way. And then she began fighting. When the warriors rushed to meet her, she cut down all of them. No one could stand a chance against her. She could fight harder, faster, better than any of them. Her parents made their way around the edges of the battlefield, fighting against their oppressors as well. Eventually, however, they got too close to Nafanua, and she accidentally killed them in her battle frenzy without realizing it. Oh. Once she reached her family's village, she was surrounded by enemies. She forgot her father's warning, and she continued fighting with vengeance, consumed by her bloodlust. However, before she could continue fighting much longer, a gust of wind blew past her, lifting up her coverings and revealing her breasts. The warriors around her stopped fighting, stunned. Up until that point, they had believed that they were fighting against an incredibly skilled male warrior. However, now they could see that they had been outmatched by a woman. They could not handle this humiliation and surrendered to her. And the fighting stopped. So Nafanua continued until she had conquered the entire island and became the ultimate ali'i or chieftain of Samoa. She never used her last two items and never created a peaceful or exceedingly deadly end to her fight. After her campaign, she lived in the village of Falealupo, which held the gateway to the spirit world of Pulotu. She was quite famous at that point, and many people would travel to ask her advice on matters of war and government. So one day, a man came to her asking her for help in uniting Samoa and ending bloodshed for once and for all. And after some consideration, she replied to him, Wait on the heavens for a crown for your kingdom. And eventually, in 1830, the missionary John Williams arrived in Samoa 
and presented a Bible to the first person that he met on the beach. This man was the descendant of the original man who had come to Nafanua and asked her for advice. Eventually, he would become the ruler of a united Samoa and was known as the king whom Samoa listens to. And it's believed by many that these events fulfilled Nafanua's prophecy. Oh. So that's kind of her story. Do you have any thoughts? So because he was handed a Bible that showed that he was the rightful king? like Well, he, um, with like Christianity, he became the ruler of a united Samoa. Um, as the descendant of the original guy had asked for advice. So it's believed that she, like, predicted the coming of Christianity. And, like, that that guy. That's something you don't see very often. Yeah, I think it's um, really interesting. Yeah, the, like, folk religion, like, Mm -hmm. sort of peacefully making way for Christianity. I mean, I wonder if how, how, like, that's perceived now. Like, if that was just a post-Christian interpretation Maybe? Yeah, I don't know, but um... yeah, I mean, like, I don't know how actually peaceful it was, like, or you know, I mean, ultimately, I do feel like coming to a place where you aren't from, have never been to before, have never interacted with the people before, and say saying like, well, this is the religion that you need to follow, and this is the way that you live through your life, is a pretty Can't violent have been act. Been that peaceful? Oh, well, and of, yeah, yeah, of yeah, yourself itself. Um, but I mean. Like, I wouldn't, I don't know if it was necessarily, like, the most violent or the most peaceful, like, conversion story of any, like, place that was ultimately colonized and converted to Christianity. Um, but there is the story that, like, basically um, is interpreted that she predicted um, that this would happen. Yeah. And I think, interesting. It, you know, it's very interesting. And, yeah, I mean, some people, like take it to believe that um, there's sort of more agency in the conversion. Like, she basically gave them permission to, um, you know, convert to Christianity. Um, It was more of, like, a peaceful conversion, as we were sort of saying. But also some people have a more, like, ironic view and sort of say that, like, Nafanua foretold the coming of Christianity. And therefore, that means that God, Jesus, and Christian figures on the islands are beholden to her, not the Christian Ah. God. Um, and she is the ultimate figure of power and authority. And because therefore, like, she was the one who gave permission for Christianity to be on the island. And they needed her permission. So that's, like, some ways it. that it's... Yeah, and that she predicted it. So that's some ways that it's interpreted, which I think are pretty fun and interesting. Um, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. But overall, I mean, I think it's a really interesting story. There's a lot of um, pain and trauma associated with the um, ad- um, introduction of Christianity to Samoa, like... it's like similar to a lot of places you know it's created more patriarchal standards created more like repressive ideas about gender and sexuality i mean also um, replacing a folk religion with christianity is already like a colonizing act like to get rid of gets rid of like culture and stories and Mm -hmm. obviously a lot of customs as well Mm -hmm. yeah um and so like again yeah it's it's, I mean, it's an interesting story that there's, like, this prediction, and it's not, like, necessarily a negative prediction. Like, when I was first, like, you know, like, Nafanua, the woman who, the goddess who predicted that Christianity would come, I thought it would be, like, you know, this really dark prediction that would be, like, oh, these people will, like, destroy everything or something. But it's, like, no, like, wait for the king. Wait on the heavens for a crown for your kingdom. And it's, like, 
yeah much more neutral or like and so i just yeah, i don't know it's just a very yeah. interesting story um yeah it is yeah yeah um i was wondering if you there were any um uh, stories in mythology that this reminded you of at all um yeah freydis from the icelandic sagas oh interesting Oh, you weren't thinking that? Well, I was also thinking Durga, but the part where she, like, exposes her breasts. I know that it's not on purpose, but I was yeah. like, it's so Freydis. I know, that's true, but yeah. <laughs> but you were, were you thinking of Durga, or who were you thinking of? Um, remind me what this made you think of Durga again. Um, because she was this, like, female warrior who got sent in by the, the other gods, mm. or I guess another oh, yeah. god, to end the fighting. That does make a and lot she of had sense. These, and she had these fancy weapons, and she got all prepared, and she just, like, went in and started just fighting everyone. Yeah, I that makes a ton of sense. That totally sounds similar. To me, she reminded me specifically of two different stories. The first story she reminded me was actually of Athena. Oh. Um, oh, well, I guess, I guess the part about her um, being fully formed in the ground kind yeah. of was similar to Athena's birth like fully formed yeah the head of zeus yeah well that's the first thing that made me think of her right was like that she was sort of had an unconventional birth like she was originally born as like a blood clot and they thought that she was dead and they buried her and then her father came to like dig her up and she was fully formed from the ground um but then also she is associated with war which athena is also associated with and so i thought that was interesting I, mean, I don't know if this is equivocal, but Athena is associated with wisdom and Nafanua yeah. um, predicted the future. Yeah, I mean, she was definitely a figure that people went to for wisdom. So I think that's also like an interesting parallel. And then the other story that it really reminded me is the story of Sekhmet and um, Hathor in uh, Egyptian mythology. And do you remember the story at all? No, remind me. Um, I don't remember all the details, but basically what happens is um, Sekhmet, who's like the violent war goddess side of Hathor, the, the peaceful goddess of love and fertility, sort of goes on this like killing rampage across Egypt and like sort of destroying everything in her path. And eventually the only way that she's saved is or like she stopped is because a bunch of like people turn uh, beer red with like pomegranate juice to make her think that it's blood and when she like drinks it up she gets so drunk that she passes out and then returns to her peaceful form and so that sort of makes me think of her simply because she is going on this killing rampage she kind of can't stop herself um you know we're sort of seeing that in like you know she gets to her family's village and she can't stop herself she kills her um her parents like her adopted parents and she can't stop herself you know like um, yeah, that makes sense. And in a way, you could say that like the reveal of her breasts and reveal of her like womanhood is sort of similar to like the return of um, Sekhmet to Hathor as like the sort of more peaceful, like feminine side of her um, her character. Um, I don't know. Hmm. This is just a sort of thought I had. But yeah, I mean, it's again, it's like about a warrior goddess like going on a sort of murderous rampage and having to be stopped, which is interesting. Yeah, and I mean, with the story of Durga, the whole thing was she was a woman, and so they, like, underestimated her. They thought that he could only be defeated by a man, and then she comes mm-hmm. in and, and defeats everyone. And then for them, she de- for Nafanua, she defeated everyone. And then when they realize that she's a woman, they're like, this is humiliating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because in a lot of ways, a lot of people find her story uh, to be very empowering. And, in like, some of my sources sort of cited this story as, like, a reason that gender equality is taught among the people of Samoa and across the Pacific Islands today. But I also kind of couldn't help finding a more cynical view of it when I was, like, reading the story and listening to the story. Um, like, so Nafanua is sent by her father in response to his brother, her uncle's intense humiliation. Her main goal is to avenge her uncle, and although she ends up the ali'i of the island, I don't necessarily think that was, like, the goal. And what really stuck out to me was the description of the man's shame and humiliation when they found out that the person they'd been fighting against and losing to was a woman. And so I'm wondering if, like, the real goal was to sort of humiliate the men and the people on the other side as her uncle had been humiliated before. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting take. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because there's the humiliation in both aspects. I mean, it's like, I think that what she does is very cool and incredible, but it's also just, like, very powerful and, like, meaningful to me that, like... What ultimately stops the battle is not her intense, her, like, incredible skills as a warrior and the amount of, like, killing that she's doing. It's the fact that she's a woman and they can't bear the shame of the fact that they're being beaten by a woman. Yeah. And it's really the shame that stops the battle. That, um, yeah. Yeah. It's and true. today, the place on Savai'i where Nafanua's gender was revealed is known as the field of shame. And so it, it seems like one of the main things associated with this event is shame, yeah. more so than, yeah, like... like, you wonder if we're meant to be on the men's side or not. Yeah. Like, if we're supposed to be like, oh, look how cowardly they are. Or if, we're supposed to be like, or if we're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, that's so shameful of them to be beaten by a woman. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, that's sort of... I mean, I just, like, really like, couldn't help to condemn like, their shame or not. Yeah, like, ultimately, what stops the fighting is the fact that they're too embarrassed to keep going. And, again, like, what really gets me is that what started this was the embarrassment of her uncle. Yeah, and I mean, simultaneously, that's, like, powerful of her to be, you know, this woman who, you know, causes all the men to just stop and run away. Mm-hmm. But also, it's like, I mean, she was ready for, like, a full fight. And mm-hmm. she didn't actually get to use her last two weapons because mm-hmm. they just ran away. Yeah. Like, she could have gone more. She could have continued fighting for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, it's... Like, it's kind of insulting to her to not even finish the fight. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that what she did was very impressive. I think she's obviously very skilled. But I don't know if that's the message that we're supposed to take away. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of ways you can interpret the story. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, like... It is important to say that nowadays Nafanua is considered an important symbol of, like, female empowerment and strength in, like, Pacific Islander communities, particularly, like, on Samoa and Samoan diaspora communities. And, like, I think that's also important. Like, that's also significant. That... Yeah, like, it wasn't just about the way that the men were yeah. perceiving this story. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I don't want to undermine her accomplishments or her significance um, either. And I want to, like use a quote um, that one woman said in her paper that the legend of Nafanua and the political historical accounts of her achievements are stories of celebration and survival from a blood clot and as a result of an incestuous union to becoming a renowned war goddess and a paramount leader her legacy opens up a space which shifts excluded slash inferior identities to a more empowering and entitled identities 
So, I mean, that's definitely a more optimistic way of looking at that I've been like saying. And I think that's also a very valid way of interpreting the story is that but with her great power and strength and her ability, she is the one who becomes the leader and she therefore opens up things more for other women and other people on the island. Yeah. I mean, it mm-hmm. was because there was so much struggle and then there was just a totally new mm-hmm. leadership yeah. in place. Yeah. That was, that... you know, more, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe if it was more fair or or just better for women, I don't know. But either yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also like there are of as like there are with every story discussed on this podcast variations to it. And one variation that is really interesting to me is that in some version it's Nafanua who convinces her father to let her avenge her uncle's humiliation. And so that to me, I think, changes the story a lot. First of all, it just yeah. gives her more agency in general. She's not just following orders, she's doing what she wants to do. And second of all, it makes her rage more like under like not understandable i don't want to say more but personal more personal and it sort of gives it more of a backstory basically like she has been wanting to do this from the beginning she is so angry about how her uncle has been treated that like it's no wonder that she's rampaging across the entire island because this is really upset her like and it was her choice to do this she's not just sort of being sent in by her father who's like oh well you're you're a great warrior go do this like she's like i want to do this I and then in I that case this. like she wanted to humiliate the men for what they did to her uncle, not mm-hmm. her father was just using her to yeah. humiliate them. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, that's a really interesting other interpretation. Um, I think that variations on stories are very interesting. And I think that, you know, I mean, obviously we can't say, we can't talk about what came first or like what is influenced by what, because we just don't know. Um, but they're interesting. That's all I have to say about that. Um. <laughs> oral storytelling naturally has variations yeah and like mm-hmm. as the teller of the story you get to control which version like if she has a lot of agency or if she doesn't yeah yeah absolutely so you wonder yeah you know about people who are telling the stories like which or like i don't even know if there was multiple versions that were being told or if mm-hmm. they just knew the one and then just kept saying that but you know i mean there's a lot of power in like oral storytelling being the one who's telling the story mm-hmm. yeah and so also thinking about other ways that she's interpreted nowadays um the poet dan talapapa mcmullen portrays nafanua as an icon for fa'afafine or third gender people of the Sam- mm. samoan islands stating in his fa'afafine poem that nafanua was the greatest warrior of samoan history when she went to war she disguised her gender by covering her chest and you can't see it because you can't like hear it but there's parentheses around she and she disguised her gender so it's the parentheses around the s so it's she he ah sort of thing yeah which i think is a fun interpretation um by associating nafanua with faafafine mcmullen moves them into a center of culture and political power um and therefore doing as previously said shifting excluded inferior identities to a more empowering entitled identities Mm. so yeah it's also an interesting interpretation so once again like she it is an empowering narrative and there's a lot of really great things to take out of the story yeah Mm -hmm. i mean like i was i mentioned earlier that it reminded me a little bit of frades from yeah atlantic sagas and Mm -hmm. her whole thing was that she um 
she just like was she like turned around she like took off her shirt to reveal her breasts and then the men who were like chasing her like screamed they were like well also also she slapped her sword against her breast and started yelling really Uh, loudly yeah and they were really freaked out and they ran away right yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, I mean, this has kind of a similar thing of, like, yeah. just, I mean, seeing someone, seeing a woman's, like, breasts in, like, a battle scenario, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a, a shocking sight, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just kind of, like, oh my god, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. I mean, I guess the contexts are, like, a little bit different. I mean, one was on purpose, one wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like, just... I mean, mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting the way that, like, women's breasts are, like, like, the way that they are in mythology, like, um, I don't remember her name right now, but the lady who was associated with chopping off her breasts, that was also another one, and there was also, Oh, um, yeah, the saint. Yeah, yeah, I forgot her and name And then there's, right um, then there's, what's her name? K- Kaneki. Kaneki, who... Who tore off, off her breasts. Off her breasts. And yeah. cursed the city with it. And just threw yeah. it, and, yeah, I mean, that's quite powerful. yeah. Breasts are powerful. Breasts are powerful. I mean, it makes absolute happy, sense happy biologically. Happy woman's month. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so Nafanua is the namesake of many things, including an active underwater volcano near American Samoa and a patrol vessel operated by the Western Samoa Police Department. Oh. Yeah. It is, as I said before, believed that her actions helped equalize relationships between genders, and after her campaign, women were now seen as equal to men. And to this day, most Polynesian names and titles are unisex, and the title Nafanua is one of the highest-ranking legendary Samoan titles. Oh, cool. For example, in 1988, the title of Nafanua was given to Dr. Paul Allen Cox for his conservation work on Samoa's rainforests. So oh. it's a very high honor to be given the title of Nafanua, which is I very bet. cool. Definitely. And as I, s- I don't know if I said this before. Um, But she is continually evoked by many poets from Samoa and the Samoan diaspora, often used Mm. as a means of empowerment or as a way to discuss and examine the past. So she is very relevant to people's lives to this day. Um, Yeah, all thanks to her very brave and powerful actions in her fight. Yeah, I mean, I think that female warriors are just like really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I like um. I like when it's, like, revealed that they're a woman and then everyone thinks... I mean, like, I'm thinking about... Which Lord of the Rings movie is it where she takes off her helmet and she's Ew, like, I am oh, no that's, man. Sorry, um, that's, that's Return of the King. I, I, is that the second one? Is that the no, one? that's the third one, Lizzie. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I haven't actually seen that one yet. I've just... I, yeah. I haven't seen... I've seen a clip. You would, I would have thought you would... No, realize you hadn't seen that one yet. Anyways, the clip yet. I just, I just know that I watched a clip at some point. Yeah, it's okay. But we I should, think we need cool. to watch Return of the King at some point. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, but yeah, female warriors are just cool. Like, there's also Yenenga. Yenenga. Um, Durga. Durga is very cool. Um, Athena. Athena. <laughs> I mean, there, there are many. other ones. We have a there's whole list. Plenty. We have a whole list. I mean, of we female do have warriors. a whole list. Um, I think not to Mulan, spoil anything. That's a little different. I don't know. I mean, she is I mean, a, female is a female warrior. warrior. Well, she's she fits soldier, the definition of female. Is there a difference? I love Mulan. I don't know. No, no, I guess there's not a difference. I don't know. I feel like I don't know. Anyway, I think there's definitely some in Norse there's... mythology. Oh yeah, maybe not. I mean, the Valkyries. Kind of them too. Are they? 
Or aren't they female? I mean, do they fight, fight, though? Or do they just pick up dead soldiers off the battlefield and bring them to Valhalla? Oh, I I don't know, actually. They might only do that. know better than I would. Yeah. Um, But anyways, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I did a lot of research. female warriors are cool. Yes, I do. I, I, I like this episode a lot, personally. Um, not She's very cool. Born. I also think that um, Oceanian figures are so underrated. They are. They really are. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, I'll plug the uh, podcast that I listen to, which is Legends from the Pacific. They have a lot of mm. really cool episodes. They're all like 10 minutes long, so it doesn't take that long to listen to. And I got a lot of my information from their episode on Nafanua. So, yeah. Nice. I also thought our Pele episode was really fun. And I still intend to make an episode on Miru at some point. Okay, yeah, so I was wondering. I've been wondering about that because you said I'm gonna. Do she's it been in the, like, She's been in the back of my mind for well over like, well, a year now. Well, then I can't. Now. I can't do her. But oh, fair, uh, fair. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. forthcoming <laughs> in theory. Yeah, we'll get um, excited. It'll probably be there <laughs> sometime in the future. Wink, wink. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So thank you, Zoe, for today's episode, and thank you for listening. Please feel free to subscribe, donate to our Kofi, listen to other episodes, uh, leave a review, and we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies, and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.